Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. Here's what's important to me, is we are able not just to spend time learning God's Word, but that we're able to do something with it. It's incredibly important to me that it's applicable. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of head knowledge. Now, this past month, we've been looking at this idea of a Jesus-free Christmas. What would it be like if we had this holiday, but there was no Jesus included? There's some people we know that wishes that that's what it was, that we could remove Jesus and we are left with fun and food and all that stuff. And we've looked over the last few weeks as to what we would be left with. The first week, we talked about we really would have unexplainable traditions. We'd be singing Frosty the Snowman and all this stuff, and there's not really, we don't even know why we're doing it. Last week, we went a little bit further. Last week, we specifically talked about the fact that we would be left with unfulfilled longings. We talked last week about the differences between cravings and appetites. See, I can fill up on chocolate chip cookies at this time of year. And believe me, I don't have a hard time doing that. But they aren't necessarily nutritious in meeting what my body needs. They're fulfilling a craving, but they're not actually taking care of the appetite. So last week we talked about the fact you take Jesus away. You may have happiness for a couple weeks, but ultimately you're left in January with nothing again. So today we want to go a little bit further and. And I'll say this, today is going to be a little bit heavy, because there's just no way to candy coat this. See, while many of us, we're very merry and we're very bright at this time of year. This is, you know, the the best time of the year. It's the most wonderful time. You know, you got Andy Williams going in your head every day. Uh, As much as it's that way for many people, this season is also not so merry and not so bright for some of you. This is a tough season. It's tough. I, you know, you, and let's talk about how this gets tough. It's tough because there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of stress. You've got to do the whole gift buying thing. And I talked about the stress of that last week. But, you know, we're left with this stress of buying gifts. And then we've got to be here. And we've got this concert. And we've got this at church. And, oh, yeah, you know, some of us have multiple family Christmases. Okay, there's not one. There's five the same day, okay? And you have to be at all of them. And they're like, you know, 50 miles apart. So there's stress, and it, and it begins to really just take all the joy out of it for you. It's more a season of stress. It's a season of anxiety. You're overspending. <laughs> How on earth am I going to pay this off? You overcommit. It's also a season of depression. Depression is real. Life doesn't just stop for the holidays. I hate to tell you this. If there was stress in your marriage before Thanksgiving, it's still there this season. And it's still there in January. It doesn't stop for Christmas. I don't know too many families that are fighting that are like, well, hold on, time out. It's Christmas. Let's pretend to be happy, okay, for three weeks. And then January the 2nd, we're right back into it. It doesn't stop. This season is also heavy for some of us because of loss. 
This may be for some of us the first season without somebody we were very close to. Whether they moved or whether they passed. And for some of you, it's been several years that this is heavy. It's not just the first year. Every year is heavy. And so there's this this nastiness, a nasty feeling that comes over us when we get into the season while we look around and we, we, we see people cheerful and, you know, jubilant and wearing, you know, crazy sweaters and everything. And we're like, how can you be happy at a time like this? Today, that's what I want to talk about because we need to lean into this a little bit. I read a story this past week by a lady named Tammy Schmitz, and she talked about the darkest Christmas of her life. It was 1987. A few months before this Christmas season, uh, her father, who she was very close with, uh, had contracted a cancer, and it was one of those that it was like two months, and he was gone. And she had the heaviness of that. She had the heaviness of things going on in her personal life. She had the heaviness of things going on at her job. And so when the Christmas season rolled around, she's like, I don't want anything to do with this. And so she declared her home a Christmas-free zone. She literally puts a sign on her door, Christmas-free. She didn't put up any decorations. She did not listen to Frosty the Snowman. Uh, She wanted nothing to do with it. She was getting invitations to Christmas parties. Nothing. She wanted nothing to do with it. In fact, she wanted to get away from it so much that she decided she was going to take a vacation during the holiday season, and so she did. Some of you may feel that way. Boy, it would be just great if for this month I could go to wherever, Costa Rica or, or you know, wherever, you name it, Italy. We're going to go to Italy. Well, you go to Italy. That's not the best place to go because Rome, and they definitely celebrate Christmas there. So you get the idea. You know, um, maybe it's a good time for Dubai. I don't know. But... Uh, so I, I, you just want to get away from it all. And Tammy wanted to get away from it all. And she did. She literally felt she just needed to get away from everything she was dealing with. I don't know if this is where you are today. But I want to take it a step further. So let's remove Jesus from this holiday. What are you left with? And that's what brings me to the point this morning. And I wish I could candy coat it and make it pleasant. But without Jesus in this holiday... We're left with unfixable grief. No easy way of saying it. I mean, you can go and, and you know, see a counselor. You can uh, be medicated. You can uh, quit your job or leave your marriage. You're, you are left with this unfixable grief. Because we believe here, as Christians, Jesus is the source of fixing, the source of hope, the source of healing. You take them out of it, this really is a dark time of year. Think about it. Is anyone ready for the sun to start staying up like two more minutes a day at least? Uh, Yeah, this is tough. (laughs) I would take a little more sun, and I am not Mr. Warm Weather Guy. That's the hardest part of winter. It's interesting that in the midst of the darkest time of the year, we celebrate Christmas with all the lights and all the joy. Without Jesus, we're left with unfixable grief. Some of you know what a placebo is. A placebo, let me explain a placebo. When I was a camp counselor uh, in central Maryland, we would have kids come in who were homesick, or as we refer to it, H-sick. And we would bring them in, and we're like, well, we're going to give you a homesickness pill. It was Rolaids, or Tums, okay? They thought this was a magic pill. 
okay? And they took it, and it was amazing. All of a sudden, they were fine. It was a miracle. It was a placebo. It wasn't really fixing anything. It was making their tummy feel okay. But mentally, it made them think that they were fixed. But they'd be back in the next day. Some of them we ended up having to send home. We have a lot of placebos in this holiday season that we think will fix our grief, but they don't. Now, how could Christmas bring any hope to the grief and the stress and the anxiety and everything that you're going through? I want to remind us of a few verses from the first week of the series. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, we looked at. Uh, I'm going to have the verses up here. You can also, if you are techie, uh, in the bulletin, there's a QR code that'll pull up notes and the, the verses that we're reading, or you can open your Bible as well. Uh, John chapter one, uh, 1, verses 4 and 5, and also verse 9, I want us to remind us from week 1 of this. It says, in him, this is talking about Jesus, when he came into the world, when he was born at Christmas, in him was life, the source of all perfect spiritual life, abundant life we talked about last week. And the life was the light of men. It was a guide and a direction for us. The light shines in the what? Darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the has not overcome it. The darkness will not overcome it. Jesus comes down into the world. We're going to talk about how broken it was in just a second. comes down into darkness. He is the source of all light, the source of guidance, the source of life in its fullest. He comes down into darkness, and no matter how hard Satan tries, Satan could not overcome. The word for darkness in the Greek is skosha. And skosha isn't just meaning, okay, the lights are off in a room. Skosha is the word that they use to explain the darkest of all dark. Okay? It doesn't get any darker than this, it's saying. Now, a couple years ago, I, you know, in one of my random YouTube fests where I just get, go down a rabbit hole and start watching random YouTube videos, uh, I discovered one. And it was about a guy, he was a YouTuber, he found the darkest black paint in the world that they make. It's called Masso, I think it's pronounced Masau Black, uh, M-A-S-O-U. Um, it is dark as anything. He painted an indoor room with this stuff. And you could tell, even with an imperfect camera, just how dark this room was. But he had a light bulb in there. And here's the interesting thing. Yes, it wasn't as bright as if it was a white colored room. But I can tell you one thing, I didn't see the light bulb snuff out and go off. There was still some reflection of light in this incredibly dark room. No matter how hard the darkness tries, no matter how dark the darkest things get, the light still shines in the darkness. And that's what this verse says, is no matter how bad things were, when Jesus came into the world, guess what? Darkness didn't overcome him. Satan could not overcome him. He was the source of light and life. When he was born, everything changed. Darkness can't stop light. Ultimately, Jesus would be victorious despite his opposition, or despite the opposition of darkness and Satan. Uh, but even more than that, I've pointed this voice, a verse out to us uh, as well. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says this about Jesus coming into the world in the form of a baby. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When you and I were enemies of God because we're sinners, we're doing our own thing, we're breaking all the rules because whatever, God, you don't own me. Well, technically he does, but you don't own me. You got nothing to do with me. When we were his enemies, when we were powerless to do anything about it, no matter how good a person you may be, 
You could donate half of your earnings in a year to charity. Doesn't matter. You were powerless to do anything about it. Christ died for the ungodly at just the right time. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And then verse uh, 8 says this, but God demonstrated his love for you and for me in this. God loves you this much. While we were still sinners, his son, Jesus, died for us, took our place, took our punishment. You may say, what does this have to do with grief? Well, I want you to imagine for a second that you are sitting out front with a niece or a nephew, a child of some sort, maybe a kid from our church, or maybe your own children. You're sitting outside, and there's this busy street here, Point View Avenue. That's a joke, because Point View is not that busy. But let's say this is busy. This is like 222 busy. And it's high traffic time. And you see that child, and you say, hey, I want you to go across the street. Is that going to end well? Most likely not. You would not send them into something that dangerous. And that's my point. God, at just the right time, when things were the darkest of the dark, he said, perfect time for me to send my precious son, my son, into the world so that he can live 33 years and die. You don't think that God is not acquainted with grief? You're sending your son into a broken world ultimately to die at the hands of his own creation. You may say, well, how dark was it, Dan? Things are dark now compared to back then. Okay, I get to put on my history nerd hat for a little bit, so bear with me. The world that Jesus walked into, I, when he was born as a baby, yes, we know Rome was the empire in charge, but I need to set you up. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was 400 silent years. We call them the intertestamental period. We don't have a lot recorded. God was not revealing anything new during this time. And biblically, there isn't like a lot written during 400 years. But the world would continue to go on. See, during that time, those 400 years, when we leave the Old Testament, we know the Persian Empire is ruling over Israel. This is Daniel and so on. He lived through all of this. So Persia it was leading, and, and then all of a sudden, this guy named Alexander the Great comes along. You know him? You remember him from history class? There'll be a quiz afterwards. Uh, Alexander the Great comes in, and this great power, the Seleucid Empire, comes over, and they now take over the Persian Empire within 400 years. And then, oh yeah, after he's ruled for a while, in comes Rome, the next great empire, they come, and this is, you know, a little while before Jesus was born, the Roman Empire comes in, and they were known for their savagery. They invented crucifixion. That's their, you know, claim to fame. Hey, we invented that. Woo, the cross. So three empires in 400 years ruled over Israel, subjugated them. They were subservient to them. But that's just one thing that was kind of turmoil, okay? Imagine if America, every 200 years, somebody else was in charge. A new empire takes us over every 200 years. Here's another thing. One of the Greek kings was a man named Antiochus Epiphanes uh, or uh, Antiochus IV. Antiochus was a little bit like Nero in the Roman Empire. He was not all there. It's believed he may have had some mental problems and wasn't thinking logically. Antiochus did not like the Jewish people. Not at all. In fact, he outlaws them 
observing the law, observing tradition, he wanted to interweave the Greeks and the Jews so that there weren't pure-blood Jewish people anymore. This led to problems later on in the Bible. Uh, Antiochus hated the Jews so much. Number one, he goes in and he ransacks the city of Jerusalem. And one of the things he did just to drive his point home is he sacrifices a pig on the altar in the temple. Now, is that favorable in the eyes of the Jewish people? No. You better believe that is as blasphemous as it gets. And Antiochus was over them. They had to live under his reign. In fact, though, his actions ticked off the Jewish people enough that another thing began to happen. And it's called the Maccabean Revolt. The Maccabean Revolt, we just had the end of Hanukkah uh, this past week. Hanukkah is one of those things that's tied in with the Maccabean Revolt. Some of the Jewish people, the Maccabees said, enough's enough. This is not right. And they began to revolt and to fight against the empire in charge. And they begin to kill. And they begin to do so much. And they have such success that the Seleucid Empire sort of backs off and says, okay, you can have a little bit of autonomy. You can have a little bit of rule. You can do your traditions and so on and so forth. Now, you would think the Jewish people would be like, perfect, we're right back to where we were. Awesome. But as what happens with many revolts, it became corrupt. Unfortunately, some of the leaders within this Maccabean revolt and afterwards became corrupted. And the next thing you know, then Rome comes in. And Rome dominates and takes over. And Rome allows a king in Israel, a guy named Herod. Now, Herod's Jewish. So you'd think, okay, well, we have our own ruler. He's going to respect our religion and stuff. But if you read the Bible enough, you know Herod was not a great guy. Not at all. Herod is the guy that after Jesus was born, he was so afraid of losing power that he justified murdering babies up to toddlers, young boys, just to eliminate the competition because he had heard a king would be born and he was not ready to give up his throne. It takes a pretty sick man to do that to his own people. To his own people. But it wasn't really bad back then when Jesus was born. Not at all. This is the perfect time according to the verses that we just read for, hey, God's in heaven says, well, things are pretty dark. Perfect. Go, my precious son, into the world. You don't think God knows grief and knows the heaviness of this time of year, of darkness that you may be going through? He does. And he's experienced it. He went through his own. This was the perfect time, according to him, to send Jesus into darkness and hopelessness and misery. One of the songs that we sing this time of year is, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And the lyrics go, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel. There's a reason that song, if you know, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, has this heavy feeling to it. Because it really encapsulates what the Jews were going through at this time. And what Jesus was being born into, this awful world. This broken world. And he comes, the Son of God, 
comes into the world to be born into a human body. He gets grief. He gets darkness. We celebrate the birth of hope for all of us in the midst of darkness because that's why he came, to meet the biggest problem we have, which is sin. The biggest hurt that we have. He's here to help heal. I have four things that I want you to take away from this today. Number one, especially for those that deal with grief during this time, I want to just say this right up. It's okay to grieve. In fact, it's essential. It is okay for you to grieve in this time. It is okay for you to have a heavy heart in this time. In fact, some of us need to be reminded of this because some of us have areas in our life we've never grieved. We've just passed on by. And we've put it in our backpack of life never to be dealt with. I was reading and looking for some verses to help us as we sort of unpack all this. And 1 Peter 1, 6 or 7 was one that I, uh, came to me today. And it says this. Uh, Peter talks, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Catch that. In this you're going to rejoice. You're going to be happy about this. If necessary... You have been grieved by various trials. It's possible that it's been necessary for you to go through some grief, through trial, uh, the stresses, the anxieties, maybe standing up for the name of Christ and persecution. It's essential. It's necessary for you to go through these. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, if you have your faith in Christ, it is those trials, it is that heaviness and that difficulty that proves your faith is real. The genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is, te- uh, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Part of the grief that you may be experiencing may be part of the greater plan of God to prove the genuineness of your faith. So it is necessary for you to grieve. Some may ask, well, what is grief? The definition that I was reminded of this past week in my reading was, grief is is love that has no place to go. Grief is love that has no place to go. The person, the job, whatever it was, the peace in your home, it's no longer there. And so you feel this love that you don't know what to do with it, this hurt, this deep ache of your soul. All of us need to be familiar with grief. Jesus was familiar with grief. Isaiah says that he was a man acquainted with grief. And here's the thing. Some of us, as I mentioned, have not taken time to grieve. Because maybe for us, we've been told, well, you must not have a good relationship with God if you grieve. You must not have enough faith. And I fear for people who haven't grieved. You want to talk about grief? You, you, a lot of times when we talk about grief, we think just about like someone who passes away, family member, and so on. Grief is deeper than that. Grief is opportunities that we missed. Whether that was sharing Christ with someone, whether that was an opportunity that God put in our lap and we missed it. Maybe it's grieving a broken relationship with a child or a friend. These are things you can grieve over. You can feel the weight of loss in this. Uh, A pastor I listen to every week, uh, he's a big inspiration for me, said he was challenged in a college class to begin a grief journal. And he's like, a grief journal? What are you talking about? 
And the, and the professor challenged him, you need to go in and write down all of the feelings of loss that you've never dealt with in your life. And he's like, he said he started to write, and he's like, this is stupid. And then he said, three hours later, he's sitting in his dorm room, sobbing uncontrollably as he began to think about things he had never grieved over. Grief is important. If God was acquainted with it, if Jesus was acquainted with it, you better believe you better be acquainted with it. And there's a reason why. Because when you do not grieve, you miss out on an opportunity to experience God's healing at a deeper level. That's why it's there, is so he can reach into the deepest crevices of your life that even your spouse doesn't know, that even your best friend and your family don't know, those wounds and those hurts, that the baby that was born can reach down and begin the process of healing. When you say, I don't need to, Christians shouldn't grieve, shame on you. I fear for you. I fear for you. And I fear for your relationship with Jesus that you haven't even begun to experience the depth of his healing. The second thing this morning is this. God has not forgotten you. If you're grieving, you are not forgotten. You're not. He's with you. He gets it. He understands. He understands what you're going through. In, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 14, Paul says this to the church in Thessalonica, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He's talking about those who have passed away. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. Paul's talking about those that have passed away, those that trusted in Christ, and some of us have dealt with that loss, and this may be our first one with it. But we do not grieve as others who do not have hope. Believers, you have a reason for hope. And a baby represents it. The solution to the problem is there. And it may be embarrassing. It may hurt your pride to think that this baby that was born and grew up to be a man so long ago is the solution to my problems. Yes, he is. We do not grieve as others who do not have hope. We have a hope in Jesus, in the baby that was born. He came to solve the problem. He came to be a light in the darkness of your soul. God has not forgotten you. And that should be an essence of hope right there. He knows our pain. He knows your pain. He knows your stress and your anxiety. Why not share it with him? He wants to hear from you. The third thing is this. It's necessary to find healing in Jesus. It's necessary to find healing in Jesus. I mentioned a second ago that sometimes we just think that really holy Christians just don't grieve. And I've seen, I've had friends that like have gone through a loss of a loved one and they go back to work immediately and they don't even want to talk about it. And I'm scared for people like that. Everybody grieves differently. I get that. And some people grieve less or a shorter time frame than others. But I fear that sometimes we just don't want to deal with it. And we don't want to grieve it. And yet, it's necessary for us to find healing in Jesus. Back to 1 Peter, at uh, this time in verse 5, and he's dealing with people that are being persecuted. He said this to the believers, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, and I don't want you to miss these four, Please pay attention to these. Restore you, 
confirm you in your faith, strengthen you, and establish you. You know what establish means? It means to ground you that you cannot be broken. Yes, there will be more pain in the future. It doesn't mean that that won't hurt, but he establishes you. The God of all grace is here to restore your life, restore your joy, confirm that you are his, confirm your faith is not in vain, strengthen you, give the ability to walk forward, and establish you in him. That's how much he cares. Your true healing, your deepest griefs are only found in Jesus. Too many of us try to find self-help books that will glaze over the problem. Or maybe we try mindfulness. That's the buzzword these days. Find mindfulness and all your stress will melt away. Or positive thinking. All of those are only placebos. They're like putting a Band-Aid on a shotgun wound. You know, I... Some of us are afraid to grieve. And, uh, you know, I thought of this this past week. I'm like, some of us are afraid to grieve or some of us are appalled when people grieve the way they do. And it's almost like we expect those people to be the ones that have a hammer and they're nailing something and they hit their thumb and their immediate reaction is nothing. They hit their thumb with a hammer. And we expect that they're really holy and love Jesus. Well, then they shouldn't react. No, when you're hurt, you react. Let's not be afraid to do that. Jesus is the ultimate healing for that grief. And lastly, number four, uh, we should be considerate of those experiencing grief. Now this is aimed at those that maybe this isn't a heavy season for you. We should be considerate of those experiencing grief. Galatians 6 2 is a familiar verse to many of us raised in church. Bear one another's burdens. Come alongside of people who are burdened, heavy, and, and help them. Come alongside. You know, if somebody you see limping and they're hurting really bad, you come up and you put your arm and you help them walk. And it's that picture there of, of bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, of loving a neighbor, of loving God. Help people in their pain. Now, some very well-intentioned believers, when you don't know how to necessarily help a person in their pain, I, I want I you to be careful. Because sometimes when a person's going through loss and all of this, the only thing we know to say is something that sounds like a Christian cliche. Well, just trust God. Just trust God more. Have faith. Now, I, your heart's in the right place. I'm not condemning that. But sometimes the people that we're telling that to already know that. And as you know, sometimes I can know something here, but it takes a while for it to get here. And when we go through grief, it takes a while to get from here to here sometimes. I'm not saying don't encourage. I'm saying be very careful and be mindful of what they're processing. Walk with them through it. That's not a quick pithy statement that we throw out that's not just a verse that we throw out and oh they should be good now it's walking with them through the process and putting your arm around them and saying man i feel for you can i do anything for you do you just need to talk i'm not even going to say anything just talk bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ be mindful in this time of year whether it is a neighbor whether it's somebody else of the loss that people are going through. This came very real as I was preparing my sermon this week. 
Some of you know the story about the neighbor across the street whose husband just passed. Uh, the car went off the road just down the road and all this stuff. And I've had the opportunity to talk to her. Uh, it's Dale, your cousin, correct, uh, Geraldine? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, the, the connection over there, we've had, I had the opportunity to talk to her and stuff. You want to talk about a person who has a heavy holiday? You want to talk about others like her around us in our neighborhood and in our town? Be mindful of people who are going through it. Reflect on this this week. Jesus brings deep healing, and he wants to bring deep healing to you. He is the Prince of Peace. And for some of us, let's be reminded of this. He's there. He's the true source of healing. And some of us need to take some time to grieve. The problem is that sometimes when we're in grief, we don't move beyond that. That's the thing that Jesus helps us with. Some live with grief and never seem to be able to get over it. Let's remember in this time of year that light came into the world to give us hope and healing and to find that comfort in him. He gets it, he understands it, and he wants to help you and strengthen you and restore you and establish you through it as we see in scripture. Let's not take it lightly. Let's not blow it off. Jesus is ultimately the source of what you need right now. I started talking about the story about Tammy Schmitz, the one who had the Jesus-free zone in her house and put the sign up and went on vacation. She returned from her vacation just after the holiday. She walks into her apartment in New York City. She opens the door, and she said it was nighttime, and all of a sudden just this light came from the corner. She's like, what on earth? I, I turned everything off. And she walks into her house, and there... Some of her friends who had been helping her through this process had set up a Christmas tree. She said it was with the brightest light she had ever seen, with the most beautiful decorations she had ever seen. And on it was a note, and it said, now is the time you need Jesus in your life more than ever. And she said she just began to weep uncontrollably. She had tried to keep him out of it. She had tried to keep him out of her life. And she realized that was the one thing she needed the most. She said that she takes this tree now every year and she sets it up with the same lights, the same decorations. Every year is a reminder of the year she tried to forget Jesus and just how hopeless it was. And it never really helped her. Maybe that's you today. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I pray today is the day you say, God, I am yours. I am committing my life to following Jesus. Heal my hurt. Heal my hurt. I am yours. Maybe you're not ready for that yet. Then I challenge you as always, if you're skeptical about who Jesus was, at least lean in and check out what he said. Because I know you can't throw any questions into him that are too hard. He is here to heal all of us. Let's pray. God, um, I don't know who is dealing with a burden that maybe most of this church doesn't even know about. The feeling of grief, the feeling of heaviness. I ask God that you would, in this moment, minister to those that need it the most. This isn't superficial. This isn't, well, Jesus will make all your problems go away, like it's, it's another self-help thing. This is genuine healing that some in here need to feel. And God, I ask that you in this season would meet their deepest need, their deepest ache of their soul. 
that you would reach in, make your presence be known to them, and begin the process of healing. God, for those that maybe have been passive in areas of their life that they have never grieved, and they have missed out on the opportunity for you to reach deep into them and to be able to begin some deeper healing than they have ever experienced in their life. God, I ask that you would give them the courage to begin that process, but also, Lord, the openness to inviting you into their grief and inviting others into their grief to minister, to encourage, and to walk alongside of them. Father, Thank you for being the Prince of Peace. Thank you for being the wonderful counselor, the source of life and light. God, we ask that you would do work in us. And lastly, God, the only other thing as usual that I pray for because it's so important. If there's anyone here who's been playing around with this decision of being a Christ follower or becoming a Christian, that today is a day that they say, God, I turn from my life that is only based on what I want to do, a life of sin, and I'm turning the keys over to you for my life. Save me. God, that no one would leave here today without knowing with full confidence they are yours. That this is the season they turn their life over to Jesus. Do not let the enemy discourage them. Do not let the darkness and maybe the grief they're dealing with discourage them from making this decision. You do your work in them. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer request into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.